Today's episode is about holistic healing. I went down to my friend Alexander Sharon's house in Culver City in Los Angeles to have a conversation with him. He's an interesting guy, and we didn't have a plan necessarily of what we were going to discuss, but we ended up tapping into his knowledge base on nutrition and uh, lifestyle and general wellness. Uh, He's done several trainings and has been studying a long time for many years to learn about the proper health and balance to achieve in the human body. And uh, guess what? It turns out it's pretty complex. And each person is completely different. Well, not completely different, but there's so so much variety in our metabolic types and our dietary needs, etc. So we go into specifics about that. I can't remember the term that we used. um, Biospecific, perhaps. Um, and in part of that conversation, we talked about Ayurveda, which is an ancient system of medicine from India. And we, we also talked about our own personal healing path or wellness path of unlearning a lot of the false things that we were taught growing up and, um, just acquainting ourselves with nutrition, which there's so much to know. I'm still constantly learning. So uh, I think it's important to have conversations about nutrition and wellness and things like that because it's such a simple way, not easy, but simple way that we can improve our lives and not just our our health to live longer, but also our cognitive function to be sharper and have more energy, things I think everyone would want. So there's a lot of uh, knowledge and depth in this episode. It's a really good one. Um, Let's see. We talked also about Kumbo, which is an Amazonian tree frog that has become popular um, within the last few years. And there's... I'll tell you more about it in the episode, but it's um, it's an intense cleansing process, and it's a venomous frog, and you put this venom into your body, and it, it cleanses you out through a purgative process. Um, something I've done around nine or ten times, and I haven't talked about on the episode on the podcast yet, so uh, that was good to get into that a little bit. So with that, I'll cue the music and I have more news in the out in the outro. down here in Culver City in Los Angeles with my good friend Alexander Sharon. And first off, thanks for being here. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So I wanted to do an episode with you because I know you're a man of many stories. And um, 
you've had, well, how, how old are you? You're my age somewhat. I'll be 38 in November coming up. Okay. I'm 34. Yeah. And I just have known that you've, you've been all over the world. You've done, done so many things like related to healing and, um, business. And so, yeah, I just thought it would be, be fun to get together with you and see what we end up chatting about. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to share more about my, my life experience and some pivotal moments that, uh, that I went through that experience that, that, um, might be interesting to, uh, those out there tuning in. Sounds good. And, uh, yeah, I've been very involved with, uh, holistic health and wellness for many years. Um, and when I think back to, you know, how I got involved, um, originally I definitely give a lot of, um, credit and gratitude to my parents and my mom for raising me, uh, in a healthy way, putting fresh foods and salads on the table. Um, she tells a story of when I was a baby at a, she went to a garage sale and I was there and she was there feeding me a smoothie made out of avocado and some fresh fruits. And this is in the early eighties here in Los Angeles. And people back then were very surprised to see that kind of, um, nutrition being offered to a Mm -hmm. baby. So you know, I definitely credit that early on. Um, my mom, my, my dad, feeding me healthy foods, creating that that um, palate that of 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 healthy of real foods that I could connect to and enjoy. And um, and from then on, it was I've been through my own journey of of really exploring what is um, what is real food, what is real nutrition, and how does that actually impact my physical health, my mental, emotional, spiritual health, because it's also interconnected. And I think now more and more these days, people are starting to realize that and starting to integrate these, uh, these principles of food as medicine into their life. And so uh, as a young adult, um, growing up in the United States and living in Los Angeles, going to university in Berkeley, and then New York City, I was exposed to a lot of different cutting edge health protocols, teachings and ways. And I, I really, there was a big boom uh, in the raw food movement um, about 10, 15 years ago, which I started tapping into because I felt like there was something there, like this concept of eating um, primarily or fully or, or some high level of raw living foods that had not been cooked or processed in any way. And there was some sort of life force energy and nutritional potency available and also spiritual potency available in eating these foods and then living a lifestyle in alignment with, with certain principles around that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea behind that is that, uh, there are enzymes in living foods and plants and also dairy and all kinds of things that actually aid in digestion. It's in the food source and it, it, those enzymes aid in our digestion when it's in our body. Right. And that when you cook foods, those enzymes denature and are destroyed. So then your body has to either, I don't know, does it produce the enzymes itself or it just is an addition. It it makes it more difficult to digest. Yeah. The enzymes are a big, um, 
big uh, factor to look at in digestion, overall health. And there are some books about enzymes and raw foods, and that has been one of the main um, points that people share about the benefits of raw food. I think there's so many benefits, and enzymes one could even... Um, you could challenge that or you could question that there's you know other approaches to to health and nutrition like ancient ayurvedic and chinese practices they're more into cooking the food and there's definitely benefits to to both the enzymes are a key factor and and um you know there's digestive enzymes that people consume and there's certain foods basically that are most potent in their raw uh, uncooked form so for example uh, raw spinach is a good example, just like eating a raw spinach salad or throwing a bunch of raw spinach leaves in a smoothie with some fruits, eating spinach in that way. Nutritionally, enzymatically, you're going to have much more potency than if you threw a bunch of spinach leaves, cooked them down mm -hmm. into that, what you classically maybe grew up with on your plate, eat your greens, and it's this like overcooked mash of of spinach and you know understandably maybe that's not that exciting for most people if that was the the offer of like eat your greens and that's what you have maybe not so exciting but there's so many ways of working with raw foods i started getting into making green smoothies um, and then i really took my whole uh, connection with that to the next level was in 2006 when i I, I went and lived at the Tree of Life Rejuvenation Center um, in Patagonia, Arizona for one month. I applied to the Sprouting Apprenticeship there. And this center is, is run by Dr. Gabriel Cousins, one of the foremost medical doctors and nutritional educators in, in the raw food, living foods world. And he actually created a whole community there around this retreat center. Um, with, a, with a living foods cafe, people living there, coming to heal, um, going on long juice fasts, green juice fasts. Um, one of his focus, focus there, one of his uh, yeah, main attractions there was for people that were wanting to reverse diabetes naturally. So a lot of this um, approach, I really got um, firsthand experience with seeing people come um, looking for ways to heal um, diseases or illnesses that in the maybe conventional medical world, pretty much your only options are pharmaceuticals and maybe some other protocols, maybe like, you know, change your diet here and there. But there are people really willing to make a radical transformative change in how they're eating and how they're living. And, um, and there were many great results um, from that. So I, I moved there for a month to live and apprentice and work in the Sprout House. And that's where I really got to experience the power of, uh, of living foods of sprouts, which are like the most nutritionally dense, enzymatically active food when you have a plant in, a, in, that, in that short, small window when it's, when it's sprouting. Mm -hmm. And so what kind of plants what kind of sprouted plants are in there like nuts and seeds and we were growing a lot of wheatgrass uh -huh. um, which would a special juicer to juice the wheatgrass 
and that may make that available for the clients to drink many ounces of that. Um, then we'd also grow sunflower sprouts, which were my favorite to mm -hmm. this day. Mm -hmm. um, grown from seed in, in, a, in an organic soil medium where we would add uh, microorganisms and other minerals so that they would grow to be very super mineral rich. And then they, after, over the course of 10 days or so, they'd grow those nice sturdy sprout and then we slice them and offer them to the cafe and for salads and mm -hmm. yeah for mm -hmm. nutrition so it was there that i really learned about the, the power of raw food nutrition sprouting and beyond that also how that can support uh, a lifestyle of um a holistic lifestyle in which the foods you're eating are also supporting your your spiritual path and practices and meditations. And I started to feel those more subtle nuances and how I felt if I was eating all raw foods all day and green foods and really nutritionally dense foods compared to eating just a normal standard American diet or heavier foods, cooked block, a lot of more cooked foods or oily foods where, you know, it's a different kind of energy that, that your body, that I was feeling my body when I was shifting into more of a raw food, mm -hmm. living food diet, and then living in a community where that there was the lifestyle was was supporting that as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, are do you eat meat? Are you a vegetarian now or then? Yeah, now I would say um, I'm more of an omnivore mm -hmm. that leans towards plant based diet, and that now is continues to be my foundation mm -hmm. for health and wellness is to eat primarily plants and nutritionally rich foods. Although I found for my, for my own life and um, currently after experimenting with a lot of different approaches, uh, some small amounts of very specific meats can be very um, beneficial too. Um, for example, like bison liver, which hmm. to most doesn't sound very appealing um when it comes to like oh i have a craving for meat so so i, I so my, my approach is really medicinal foods so if it comes to animal products i'm going to look to source the most medicinal nutritionally potent foods and use that very selectively as opposed to like i i have a craving i'm going to go out and eat a hamburger no I'm, I'm not really falling victim or falling into those types of food cravings as much anymore from all the cleanses I've done and the, and the education I've done, I, I, I will more selectively choose certain meats like bison liver that I get from the farmer's market from a farmer who raises these, these wild genetic, these animals with wild genetics up in Shasta. So knowing that they're living a healthy life with, with spring water, clean grasses they're eating and then that eating, consuming that type of animal can, you know, feels like it can be very healing as well at certain points in mm -hmm. time. My body feels like I need that. Um, but primarily, yeah, I think that the more nutrition we can get from plants, the better it is for our, for our own bodies and for the planet. Mm -hmm. I want to, uh, let, let's go back a little bit because for me, I had a pivotal moment in my life when I realized that the foods that I'm eating affect the way that I feel. Mm 
mm-hmm. and that the, the emotional, my emotional states, which upon realization of that seemed super obvious, but it's not something that I had ever heard before or been taught. And it's just something that hadn't occurred to me. And in fact, kind of people thought the opposite that like, I remember, um, I feel like I've told this on the podcast before, but it was a while ago. I remember in middle school, there was a, a girl who had really bad acne on her face and she was taking really harsh acne medication, Accutane, I think, mm-hmm. which like makes your skin peel and it's really toxic and n- not great for you at all. Um, and I noticed that she was eating like a lot of heavy foods and um, the food she was eating was really oily. And I just could see the oil going into her mouth and the oil coming out out of her skin. And I just said, hey, do you think that maybe the food you're eating is contributing to all this oil that's coming out of your skin? And she she dismissed it right away. She's like, no, 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 it doesn't matter what you eat. She's like, that's what the doctor said. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in her mind, it's just it's genetic Mm -hmm. that she has acne, which, you know, maybe that is a component. Um, but that whether she ate this or that or whatever, that didn't matter. She was going to have acne anyway. But I want to ask you, like, did you have, was this always clear to you, this link between food and health and food and feelings and, um, like state of wellness, or did you have a moment of realization of like putting two and two together? Mm. Yeah. Great question. And, um, I did have a few moments of realization um, and it was actually after this experience I had in, uh, at the tree of life center, uh, having gone fully into raw foods, vegan raw foods and living like that for, for probably about a year until I decided to go, um, on a trip to Nepal. And, uh, that was the next year in 2007, I got accepted to, uh, a volunteer program that was to live for four months in Kathmandu um, with a group of about 15 young adults living communally, um, learning about the culture uh, of Nepal, learning about the, all the different religious um, integrations that are happening between Buddhist and Hindu and other more indigenous traditions coming together and then also being of service and choosing a volunteer project, whether it was working with children in, in the city um, or working more in the, in the mountains, in the agricultural areas. And I came with this, um, with an interest in, in herbs um, and Ayurveda, which is the ancient healing tradition uh, coming from India, coming from the Vedic knowledge, which integrates a lot of um, emphasis on, on food as medicine and using specific herbs for healing. And I came to Nepal, which, um, and made a drastic change in my diet. And, and I felt that, that I felt that very much so. And so to go from eating completely raw vegan foods and sprouts and juices to suddenly being in Kathmandu where the, the food that they eat, the, the main food, the main staple is called dalbat, which is basically a, a huge plate of white rice, some, uh, some lentil, 
dal and some usually very overcooked vegetables on the plate. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I started eating that food, my body was like started reeling because it was such a dramatic shift. And I had brought all these supplements with me thinking I was going to be able to maintain that, like all the spirulina, different algaes and, and green powders. But it was really hard to keep that up in, in the new context and culture I was in with where everyone's eating these Nepali foods. And I just wanted to also have that experience of, okay, I'm here in Nepal. I'm going to eat, I want to eat the local food. I want to enjoy it. And I also just can't, on my own, continue eating the way I was. So that huge shift in the food, I felt that affect my, my physical body, my mind. I ended up getting very sick. Mm. And I attribute it to that, that drastic shift. It's like if I had come already eating those kinds of foods, I don't think I would have gotten as sick. Mm-hmm. So I definitely felt that wild swing. And then it was interesting because I had been so strict in the previous year living in L.A., um, not eating any cooked foods, not and especially nothing processed too. Like, let alone cooked foods. Like I didn't eat any processed foods, no no refined sugar, caffeine, um, packaged foods. And then suddenly I'm in Nepal and I'm eating all these heavy foods, and then I'm eating deep fried samosas, mm-hmm. and then ice cream that everyone else is sharing in. Because food is such a, a also a, a cultural and communal mm-hmm. endeavor, especially when you're living with a lot of people, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to maintain that that you know strict way of life and, and eating in, in that in a cultural context. So I let everything go and I swung all the way to the other side of just eating anything that was around, and 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 I got really sick, and that was kind of like me testing out the extremes of of one side to the other. And then over the years, I've, been, I've found that, that balance, that middle path that works for me. And also been able to be more clear about what, you know, what, how I eat and what foods I eat and why, and just not have such a, a charge around it or be waving a flag um, mm-hmm. that this is the best way mm-hmm. for me and for everyone else. Right. Uh, what kind of sick did you get? Like, uh, what you mm. said you got really sick. Yeah. I remember just being, uh, having my birthday there and just being in bed surrounded by all of my friends there. And just, uh, for, I was like for a week I was out, I had to go to the hospital, put on antibiotics. Um, it was just like, I think just my immune system just got compromised. Um, I think that was due to that dramatic shift in, in what I was eating mm-hmm. and just being exposed to, to new bacteria, you know, in, in Nepal, um, in a third world country. And, and, um, and then I recovered and, um, I was also traveling to, um, a rural neighborhood, a rural village where I was working with this Ayurvedic doctor and, uh, helping to make different, uh, herbal remedies and formulas there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also where I really started to experience that connection too, between how taking different herbs can affect my body and mind. And, uh, and that was when my father came to visit me. Um, and I asked him when he came to bring 
uh, this tincture press uh, so that we could use it in the village. And this is coming from a Western herbal tradition of, of making alcoholic tinctures, whereas in the Ayurvedic tradition of India and Nepal, it's not as much making tinctures, it's, it's grinding down the herb, maybe making extracts, hot water extracts, or just eating the whole herb or ground herb, but that the whole um, concept of making alcoholic tincture, from my understanding, that was more of like a Western practice. So I had studied Western herbalism the summer before in Oregon um, at the herb farm in Williams, Oregon, and we had used a tincture press there. So um, the Ayurvedic doctor, she wanted to incorporate that when I shared with her about what we had done there. And so she's like, oh, could you, you know, bring one of those presses. So my dad was coming, so I had him bring it along. He had to go through security and, and explain to them. They, they were at, asked him about this uh, metal tincture press, but he was able to bring it through all the way to Nepal. And then, then we, we also sourced some local alcohol from the villages, some very strong local alcohol. And so we used this, um, this tincture press with some of the local Ayurvedic herbs to... Uh, to make some extracts and and have that be part of the uh, offering to the to the local villagers. Hmm. And what did the Ayurvedic doctor think of the finished product of the alcoholic tinctures? Well, she was really um, happy to incorporate that um, into her practice there, and she was very familiar too with Western approaches to medicine. She uh, her name is Doctor Sarita Stresla and. Um, she has been coming actually to California every every year to teach Ayurveda, and she focuses on women's health as well. So she's she has a, a quite a quite a following now in California, and she often teaches at Mount Madonna Center mm-hmm. in Watsonville, California. And so um, I think she was she was happy to include that that type of um, medicine making into the local mm-hmm. local practice there. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a, a little bit about the basics of Ayurveda for people who may not know. And I actually myself do not know really that much about Ayurveda. I know the very basics, but tell us a, a little bit about this ancient system from originally from India. And um, like, how does it how does it differ from the medicinal ways that we may be used to here in the West? Hmm. That's a great question. And um I'm sure there's experts in Ayurveda that could really go much deeper into it. But from my experience, um, Ayurveda actually, I think, means the science of life. And it comes from these ancient teachings of the Vedas, which are thousands of years old. And it's a very holistic way of approaching healing. And um, for me, the, the emphasis on food is medicine um, I very much connected to that, and and I'll give you an example of an Ayurvedic approach to food. Will be to include um, all the different f- um, flavors um, to have like a well balanced profile profile in your culinary experience. And there's something about having all these different flavors present which creates um, a healing, balanced, uh, 
experience in in your in your in your dining in, in in the foods that you eat. So, you know, there's there's bitter foods, there's sweet foods, there's salty foods, there's pungent foods, um, and I believe you know Chinese medicine also has its five flavors. Mm-hmm. So these concepts of all the different flavors and and incorporating different foods that that contain that that's that's just a general approach and then it gets actually very specific very scientific because you have these um this concept of doshas which mm-hmm. is maybe loosely translated as like your body type mm-hmm. and you determine your dosha there's long questionnaires that look at all the different um characteristics of your physical body of your emotional body of, of how you move through the world of do you is your body type um, um, you know the, the three the three main doshas are vata pitta and kapha and so you could just look at someone's body type and pretty get pretty good sense on what their what one of their main doshas are so if you look at both of us we we're, we're both pretty lean um, and um, I would imagine that um, you have a lot of vata as myself because of that, that lean frame. Mm-hmm. And, and then, so there's all these different characteristics that, that correlate with that, that then certain foods, um, that you eat might aggravate vata or they might, um, nourish vata. So for example, a vata dosha is going to be more lean and more prone to maybe dry skin or, or being cold or, or, or moving quicker, I think Vata is connected with an air element. So there's all these connections with the elements as well. And so, so a Vata dominant um, dosha might want to include more oily foods, mm-hmm. more fatty foods, mm-hmm. to help balance out that that Vata. I see. Whereas a Kapha dosha, which is traditionally more of like a heavy set body type, that maybe is more prone to easy easy weight gain um they might there might be other foods um maybe more spicy foods for them to kick up the metabolism because maybe kapha has a slower metabolism well for me with vata pitta dosha my metabolism is very fast so for me it's it's easier for me it's harder for me to gain weight easier actually to lose weight so there's there's a lot of different approaches based upon your dosha and mm-hmm. then choosing specific foods that will bring them into balance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, here in the West we're we're leagues behind even just that basic level of awareness. I mean, I've heard of, um, named metabolic types like, uh, like ectomorphs, endomorphs, mesomorphs, that, that sort of basic body frame. Like I think, um, an endomorph is the larger body, uh, larger body frame that corresponds to a certain metabolic type. And I don't know if there's, if that's really what doshas are, they're probably, probably expanded beyond just metabolism, but, Mm -hmm. but even just, even just the thought that our food affects our health is just like a budding awareness Mm -hmm. in our society, much less that there, you know, there's different people with different body types that are going to have different dietary needs or different medicinal needs and that you need to cater the approach to your patient 
you know, specifically to your patient. You have to be in tune with like what it, like what this patient needs in this case may be completely different from another one, you know, and like in the West there's, you know, if somebody needs antibiotics, well, they don't figure out like what kind of antibiotic do you give to, to give them? They'll give you 10 kinds mm-hmm. just to cover the whole range. Not to mention antibiotics are terrible for you to begin with, but like just that really specific dialed in approach. I feel like we're nowhere near that right now. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, in, it's, I mean, they've been doing this for thousands of years uh, yeah. in Ayurveda. Yeah. And uh, like, for example, beyond just what kind of foods uh, are best for you to eat according to your dosha, it also can relate to how you move through the world. And I can relate to that as well, like with a lot of vata in my, in my dosha profile, that's um, the quality of air of, of moving quickly. And so I feel like my, my love for travel and movement, that's an, that's an expression of a vata characteristic. Whereas a kapha, they're moving more slowly, not just because they ha- they're maybe have a larger frame and more carrying more weight, but also just in the way they move through the world, they might most likely they'll probably do be doing less travel and more of that home body, mm-hmm. just like to stay at home more like and um, and just move more slowly through the world through their life. So it's it's fascinating. You can, can, can there's all these psychological and emotional you know, aspects to a dosha, not just on the physical. Um, so it's a very holistic approach. And um, I, I wanted to, yes, yeah, uh, just respond to, to what you said, too, because I think it's really important that there is like this bio in, individuality approach to to health and healing. And I think that in getting in dialing in your, your dosha, that's that's you know, an Ayurvedic way of taking in uh, an integral perspective and in the health coaching that I've done, that's also something that I brought in. And I, I realized through, you know, working um, uh, as a health coach and, and guiding people through uh, cleanses and detoxifications um, that it's not one way is best for everyone. Like um, I was working for a company that we would guide clients through um, a juice cleanse. And so it was a week long of, of juicing. Um, and they would be basically going from their normal standard American diet to, okay, now the first, first week it's all juices, mostly green juices. And we would have a company deliver the juices to them. So it was all ready-made. So they would just get on board with that. A week of juice and then a week of, of um, plant-based vegan foods no processed foods is after two weeks and they would continue on with their life. So for many, it was a radical shift to suddenly mm-hmm. people drinking coffee for 20 years, eating all sorts of stuff, all sorts of processed foods. Suddenly they're just drinking juice. And those first few days, very difficult for many people. Um, and I would help them through that. And for many people, it was, I would say for the majority, they got a lot out of it, you know, just, that experience of, of shifting what you normally are consuming, especially like certain addictive 
you know, foods like sugar and caffeine and things like that. You know, so you go through a withdrawal process, you can go through a detoxification process. And we were helping them. There were, there were herbs and different things that would help detoxify different organ systems and, and giving the guidance on what sort of foods to start to eat again. I would go to their homes as also a food coach and show them different raw food recipes they can make very easily, like a chia seed pudding with sprouted almond milk, you know, for example, or making a, a green smoothie with spinach and mango, for example. Um, just simple things they could do. But I would say maybe for not for that, that this this approach of suddenly doing like seven days of, of green juices was not the best um, cleanse for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, some people probably would have benefited from a much different approach. And also de- it also very much depends on the climate and the season. Mm-hmm. We're in Los Angeles, so, you know, even doing this in November, um, you know, it's still warm and sunny most days. It's not as uh, extreme on your body. But if you're trying to do like a, a green juice cleanse in the winter somewhere in Ottawa, Canada, it's going to be very difficult and it's probably not the best approach. So, you know, and, I, and that can be, it's, that can be, um, stressful on the organ systems. Is that right? Yeah. 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 To, very stressful to like on the have, organs, on the adrenals, uh-huh. um, to make such a sudden shift. And, and so green juice cleansing has become very popular in the last 10 years, particularly in California, in Los Angeles, in these places where you've seen the juice industry explode and people happily paying $10 for a juice and also paying hundreds of dollars to, to get like a three, five, seven day juice program. And I think it's great to for people to be drinking more juice, you know, more nutritionally dense foods. And, but you know, juicing is not the, is not the only approach to cleansing and detox. And I wanted to bring this back to Ayurveda because Ayurveda has a, a much different approach um, and one classic um, cleanse that people go through is uh, inv- is called the Kitchery cleanse, um, and uh, that involves making a very simple um, dish, um, which is primarily basmati rice, uh, split mung bean dal, and then a variety of different spices, um, maybe ginger, turmeric. Um, and simmering the spices and ghee and then cooking all the, the rice and the dal together with these other herbs. And then basically that being like a mono meal mm-hmm. where that's basically all you eat, maybe with some ghee, um, for many, many days, even weeks, depending on what the protocol is. And so people have gotten a lot of great results from doing that type of cleanse which you know is very different from a green juice cleanse um and so that you know each approach can have its um time and place and so you have to really look at the bio individual factors of the person their goals their body type you know the climate and all these different factors into really being able to to um recommend oh i think this is gonna be the best for you in, in this, in this moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For myself being a more lean body type, same as you mentioned, it's, uh, I, it's actually harder for me to keep on weight than to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Like if there's times where, especially if I'm stressed, 
like I, I can just shed pounds and or I can forget to eat or just my the stress will kick my metabolism even higher and I'll just mm. start losing weight and I have to like conscious be conscious about eating regularly and for me actually I find that it's better for me to eat heavier foods or like some grains and some mm-hmm. meat with my greens and vegetables mm-hmm. because if I if I just eat a very light meal like a salad my metabolism will burn through that super quick and you know i just need that kind of more sustained energy whereas you know a lot a lot of people now more generally say carbs are bad right mm. but uh, i find that i need carbs like carbs give me that sustained energy over a, an amount of time and i don't want to be eating a salad every 90 minutes or two hours, mm-hmm. you know, like I want to, I want to eat my meal. That's going to keep me going, um, throughout, you know, at least part of the day to the next meal time. So, yeah, but it, it certainly mm-hmm. can be a journey, especially given where most of us start at, which is, there's many things we have to unlearn things that are actually incorrect. Like it doesn't matter what food you eat. Mm-hmm. Like my friend was saying back in middle school, Yeah, there's things we have to unlearn just to get to ground level. Um, and then there's a whole journey of figuring out what, what foods work for you. Maybe what foods you're allergic to. Many people have food allergies that they're not even aware of mm-hmm. because I mean, you know, if you eat something and you throw up, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty a drastic effect. But if you eat something and get tired, you may Mm -hmm. not really put, put that together necessarily. Or, you know, if you eat something and it gives you gas and you just always had gas your whole life, you might just think, well, I'm just a gassy person, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, like I was just listening to a podcast today, this 55 year old man just figured out that he is lactose intolerant. Mm. And started cutting dairy out of his, you know, but his, his entire life he's been eating dairy and he just, you know, it just kind of clicked in. Mm-hmm. So we can go our entire lives with, with food allergies and not even realize it. Yeah. I think a lot of people do. And they even, you know, there's that, that saying food coma, you know, that people, yeah. oh, or like that, just that common knowledge that you know you're you're at work and after lunch there's that that dip yeah after your food and oh the food coma people talk about that as it's just an accepted fact of what happens after you eat mm-hmm. and that's totally not doesn't have to be the case and that was something that i was starting to experience um through ch- changing my my diet uh, a lighter feeling or actually feeling more energized after I eat. And then I realized that makes a lot more sense. Like that the food and nutrition you're, you're taking in is going to give you more energy. Yeah. And if you're like, you know, have to pass out on the couch afterwards, something's not working in what you're eating and how you're metabolizing it. And so I definitely learned that through, um, you know, cutting out wheat and gluten I realized that I had a sensitivity to it. And these days, there's so much going on around gluten-free diet. And some people 
you know, are, are avoiding wheat and gluten for different reasons. I've heard recently, too, that a lot of the wheat sensitivities could actually be due to the, the pesticides like the glyphosate and other things that are sprayed onto the wheat. And then also the, the wheat um, genetics have been hybridized. And so to have more to have more gluten and just that it's not an, as a natural, um, yeah, way for us to, to to be able to break them down, and so it can cause all these sensitivities where it's not the actual wheat people are allergic to, but it's it's all these other things. Also, how how the uh, the bread is made um, is it gone through a sourdough fermentation because with sourdough fermentation, other types of fermentation, those actually break down the gluten, the other proteins, and make it more digestible and reduce the level of gluten in them. So most people are not eating, you know, sourdough fermented bread that's been gone for 24 hours. And that's the old, you know, the old way of making breads and using heirloom wheat berries. Um, so like our whole, whole food system has been hijacked in a lot of ways. And so all these new food food allergies, I think, are very much due to all those those changes that have been made in how in our food supply, how it's grown, how it's prepared. Mm -hmm. um, and so I I had I basically cut out all wheat for a long time, um, and then recently I've found that I can actually eat certain types of breads that have gone through that fermented process that are using heirloom um, wheat berries. And it's really nice to actually enjoy a little little bread sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. um, and and not, you know, pass out on the couch. I remember I I I, I grew up going to um, to Israel, Middle East, to and enjoyed the the hummus, the cuisine there, you know, the the uh, ch the chickpea um, pate that you eat with pita bread, and after eating cooked chickpea pate and a few yummy warm loaves of pita bread i was like on the on passing out for three hours and and i realized that doesn't have to be that way um so making those changes with that awareness of um how food can affect your your body even just your energy levels then i started taking it to the next level i was like well what can i make to give me the most energy to make me feel so incredible so incredible and amazing and focused and be able to do all the things I want to do in my life. So then I started getting into working with different tonic herbs and different types of balancing out elixir, using like making elixirs, using certain healthy fats combined with herbs and, and different, different ingredients to actually optimize what I was putting to my body to get the best, the, the best benefits and, and raise my energy level and, and clarity of, of mind um, and, and feeling that direct correlation between what I, what I was putting in my body mm -hmm. and how I was feeling after. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, as you're talking, I'm thinking it, it would be cool to kind of create a roadmap for people who maybe there's some people listening who they, cause it's kind of intimidating to, research all of this stuff like to to dive into to i mean for a lot of people it's shocking just to learn about factory farming and how mm -hmm. our animals are treated and that you know this steak that you get like all of the um the horrific processes that the animals gone through right 
um, to get to that point and the E. coli risk and salmonella risk in eggs, which by the way, um, I learned this, that there, there's no actual E. coli in the meat where the E. coli bacteria comes from is from feces. And it's from when the cows are butchered because they're standing like knee deep in their own shit. And then when the cow is butchered, some of the feces can get into the meat. And that's how you can, if the butchering process is not done properly or, you know, whatever, you can get some bacteria into the meat. Because I, I always thought, oh, just some meat is tainted, but that's how it's tainted is because they're living in such horrible conditions. And same with salmonella for eggs. There's no salmonella inside of the egg. It's on the outside of the shell. And like I grew up, people saying don't eat raw eggs because you can get salmonella poisoning. But it's from like fecal matter or bacteria on the outside of the shell mm-hmm. from such dirty conditions. But just that as a starting point going yeah into like pesticides on crops and certain moldy crops like peanuts and corn are like notoriously moldy they sit in silos and mold like a lot of this i think people turn a willing blind eye to it's just like too much to just learn all this stuff but i want to try to see if we can make an easy roadmap for people. Um, maybe people who like haven't started this journey at all mm-hmm. and are curious, like what's a, what's a good starting point? Like if somebody is just going from the standard American diet, like you're, you're talking about mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, maybe they could do like a two or three week cleanse, but as in terms of real lasting lifestyle change, like what would you say are the, f- the first few basic points of unhealthy things that people are doing lifestyle wise, either diet or, I mean, some of them are kind of well-known, right? Like we need to get exercise, Mm -hmm. don't eat fried foods, but maybe beyond the most obvious levels, what are, you know, like, um, a gluten sensitivity or dairy sensitivity. I don't know if you Mm -hmm. know the percentages of, I've heard that actually like a large percentage of people have some kind of dairy insensitivity. Yeah. Yeah, gluten and dairy are one of the highest for food allergies, sensitivities. And yeah, you're right. The uh, the current food system, especially in the United States, is is really abhorrent. And uh, the way that animals are treated is, is re- truly an abomination. Um, and um, most people do turn a blind eye because they just don't want to know or they don't care or they just they haven't made that that connection for themselves that what they're putting in their body actually is affecting their health and mental state and has and and does affect the choice you know the choices you you make also are affecting the environment and the world around you so i think the education is key to raise awareness and i remember one book that was very eye-opening for me was uh the Omnivore's Dilemma, written by Michael Pollan. Hmm. And that came out, I think, over 10 years ago. And he did amazing investigative research into the American food supply, looking at um, the industrial factory farms and just the, the state of affairs there. Um, and um, just revealing the the horrible practices of how the animals are raised and then 
what that also means for you know you consuming that those types of that meat and and all that and then he also looked into industrial organic agriculture and also then these more smaller um these smaller farmers that were actually using all these really cool agriculture practices uh, like more like a closed loop system where where they're able to produce really high quality animals and vegetables um in this um where all these all the inputs like moving animals around for the fertilizer could then be used on on the crops and and in a more sustainable uh practice um i remember so that book i would recommend anyone who just really wants to get a a little glimpse into the industrial food system and mm-hmm. then alternatives that are available and um yeah, and then just to to respond to your question about what can people do, maybe to make changes to their diet if if they feel like they might have a, a gluten or or dairy sensitivity, I think for dairy it's you know we it's known that a lot of people are lactose um, intolerant, and that's that um, that's that uh, protein uh, in 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 dairy that. Um, that people have trouble with. And um, I know that um, what actually my own experience growing up as a youth, I had variety of um, allergies and asthma and uh, when I was very young. And some of that may have been due to the vaccines I received. That's a whole other subject that we don't have to get into today, but just that, that I know that there are some correlations between that, receiving vaccines and then how you're able to process different foods, your microbiome, your gut, and all that. But for me, my mom saw that I was having all these allergies, and, and luckily, a, a nutritionist you know, said, why don't you take him off of wheat and dairy and see how he does? Hmm. And it was a dramatic effect change, and I was, you know, I did, I suddenly all those symptoms went away. So early on, uh, my mom and myself, we... We, we realized that there was a connection there and she put me on goat milk compared to cow milk, which has a different, the lactose it is like less lactose or the structure of the molecule is different. There's something about it that's, it's easier for humans to digest. Um, so that's one alternative is to shift to that. Um, but also what I learned also uh, through my studies of raw food nutrition and the effects of heat on on food, particularly when it comes to milk, um, pasteurizing milk, you know, it changes its its structure and makes it much more difficult for the body to absorb, assimilate. And so the benefits of drinking raw milk, um, I, I also discovered. And so for those that are that are not vegan, that are that are that want to consume dairy for the health benefits, um, finding a source of, of fresh raw dairy is also could have a huge impact on on your health and how you're able to digest um, dairy and, and milk products. Um, and uh, and then actually referencing Ayurveda again and dairy, there's this ancient tradition of, of using ghee, um, which is uh, basically clarified butter. So it's basically, it is cooking, 
the dairy, but in a very specific way, it's taking, and you want to, you know, you want to, it's taking butter. And so the butter you're using, if you're making it yourself, or if you're buying a ghee product, you want to make sure it's a grass fed, you know, free range cow that's created this butter um, product. And then the butter is, is heated up. And according to this pretty simple process, but there's a certain amount of time that you're heating it to um, basically separate the milk solids from the fat. And, um, you know, these days everyone's, a lot of people are talking about paleo, uh, you know, healthy fats is, is such an important part of our nutritional approach to, to feed our brain and to also to provide energy source. And so the process of making ghee removes the lactose and also the casein, K-A-E-S-I-N, I believe it's spelled. Is That's another milk solid that people are allergic to. Um, and so the ghee, when you, when you have this final product of this clarified butter, all those milk solids and, and, pe- and things people are allergic to is gone. And what you're left with is, is this golden um, fat that is super healthy and healing and has been used in the Ayurvedic tradition for thousands of years. Um, they also use it in other detox um, um, protocols beyond just consuming it, which you can research. It's fascinating. Um, but uh, for me, actually, I really love using ghee um, because it has all those milk solids removed. So I, I think I've, I've also studied that casein, that, that, that one that solid that's removed, is also has like this addictive quality that it's similar to some sort of morphine type of... Um, I've heard that the dairy affects the dopamine receptor or something like that. Yeah, there's something in the casein, which is actually in cheese, is even further concentrated. So there's people that also, you know, say that I feel they feel addicted to cheese. Well, there is actually addictive quality to it Yeah, coming from these constituents. So... For me, I've removed most most dairy, but I do love the ghee because it feels very nourishing to get those healthy fats and vitamins that are in there without all the other stuff that 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 creates all these you know allergic reactions or um, issues for a lot of people. And so what are the benefits of healthy fats? Well, that's a whole that's a whole podcast too we could get into about the different essential fatty acids that you know that we need to eat um to to fuel our brain um um, our brain actually is comprised mostly of um of carbohydrates but then the essential fats that are also um present in our brain are, are very essential so um one of the most important fats to eating is is dha and uh and that's dha epa those those are well known as like the fish oils you know that most even conventional doctors you know are are promoting or prescribing or selling some sort of fish oil Mm -hmm. for brain health because and for longevity because there have been many studies um demonstrating the um the benefits of that of consuming those oils and most people are getting it through fish Right. And but then you 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 can you if you want to like go further down the food chain, you know, where how is that in the fish? Well, 
the fish contain these oils because they're eating these algaes in the, in the ocean. And so now there's more products coming out um, that, that derive the DHA from the algae. And so there's, there's vegan um, alternatives to getting those, those essential oils um, mm. that there's been many studies on the, yeah, the benefits of DHA. So definitely something to look into. Um, and that, that relates to also just how we can absorb nutrients from the sun, um, biophotons. And you think about the algae, how it grows using the sun and the water photosynthesis. And so there's, there's kind of some similar elements to when we saturate ourselves with DHA, I think we're able to absorb more nutrients from the sun. So it's all part of a, 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 a greater lifestyle o- approach to being in the sun, having, being grounded, having your feet barefoot in the earth, connecting with that, that, that rhythm of the earth and, and discharging a lot of the, the frequencies, you know, in the EMF in the field that's going on. And so DHA is one kind of essential part, I think, to the larger, the larger picture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to mention like going back to just the roadmap of just mm-hmm. kind of basic things too. just, um, I've thought of a few more things as we're talking to just organic food, just mm. eating, especially I think organic, um, animal products, mm-hmm. if you eat animal products, but, uh, organic, fruits and vegetables as well. Some are more prone to having pesticides on them than others. I think berries in particular are more prone to having uh, pesticides, but that's just a a super basic one that more and more people are, there's more organic food available now. It's just a growing, 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 which is great to see. But some, like my own parents are, have been resistant to it. and I don't know why, but you know, I, I was trying to convince my father to just like, come on, you guys have the money. I get, yeah, it's a little bit more expensive, but just, you know, just buy the organic food. And he, I don't know where he got this from, but he was just really convinced that there's no difference other than price. Um, that it's the same, you know, broccoli and organic broccoli is the same thing, but the organic is more expensive. So I wonder if you have any knowledge to share just on that of like about, and this is also another entire episode in itself, but Mm -hmm. just if we could touch on pesticides and the the effect of pesticides in the body, or I don't know if this is your realm of knowledge, but you know, maybe, maybe have some things to share. Sure. Well, I think the important thing to point out is that there was no such thing as organic food, like, Right. Over a hundred years ago. All food was yeah, organic. It was all organic. There was no pesticides was before the industrial um, transformation of, of food. And it's interesting to look at the history of that, that a lot of this happened post-World War II. And, and it's because um, these chemical companies that were involved in, in, the, world, in the war, supplying, creating... Um, chemical weapons for destruction of of human life they were sitting with a surplus of chemicals and the war was over and 
industrial agriculture was developing very fast with all the machines. And so they figured out, oh, we can use these chemicals and apply them to our crops to kill pests and so forth. And so a lot of, you know, this industrial agriculture has been using these very toxic you know, uh, chemicals um, and applied to our food. And, and then, you know, it's, there's, there's so much you can research about how this, this, this got pushed forward and, and who, who's, who's been profiting from this and then who's been hurting, who's been, who, who's been poisoned. It's basically the, the entire food supply. And so now there's this distinction between conventional and organic. And um, also, yeah, Michael Pollan's book, he looks into the industrial organic versus like local small scale organic. And we find now that with this label, USDA organic, there's been a lot of changes to what it means to be certified organic. Um, basically, it's been watered down. So that, that term organic is is not doesn't not have as much weight anymore they've relaxed their standards they've relaxed the standards um and also uh it's become a big big business organic so yeah it's actually infuriating when you really start to learn not not only just is the entire food supply not the entire but the vast majority of the food supply is poisoned and yeah you learn about just and I mean, some people want to ascribe like an element of evil to it, but it's, it's businesses doing what businesses do, which is trying to make money at, you know, by any means. And I think, I think of like, there's a, there's a positive aspect of business. I'm not the kind of person who just thinks that capitalism is a system of evil, but I think that it's, a system like businesses, I'll quote my uh, high school economics teacher. He said, business has to be regulated because it cannot regulate itself. Business just wants to grow and grow and grow. And it will like the profit line is more important to human lives. And it's the, it's the job of the government, like you know, the people that we elect to protect us and to look out for our best interests. The government has to regulate these industries to keep them from doing these things, mm -hmm. and which they have not been doing their job in that sense. But yeah, it's, uh, I've had many moments of feeling extremely frustrated and infuriated, just l going deeper and deeper and deeper into the history and, um, the, pernicious nature of some of these industries and just their, you know, and also the government letting them get away with it. And even politicians having, you know, side deals to get a piece of the profits themselves. Oh yeah. And um, what we're talking about is, is, um, you know, it's related to a much larger military, industrial, agricultural healthcare complex. Sure. And so you have, military that then converts their chemical weapons to pesticides for our food supply, which then causes people to get sick and develop cancer, which then the medical system treats with pharmaceuticals, technologies, you know, new medical technologies, radiation, chemotherapy, 
And it's kind of like this vicious cycle. And once you kind of see that for what it is and what's going on, you are able to kind of pop out of that too and, and see that there's another way mm-hmm. and that definitely the choices you make about the food you're eating um, can affect all of that and can can shift you out of that um, that cycle um, and just being caught up in that. And so, yeah, going back to organic and how that relates to to making these choices. So just also being aware that not all, all organic is equal. There's industrial organic with where, you know, the standards have been um, compromised. And so it's also, it's really about getting back more into the local scene, um, your, your community, uh, going to your farmer's markets, which have boomed. So like you can see that there's a demand, rising demand um, by people for local foods having a relationship with their farmer again all of that was stripped from us you know in the last hundred years now there's a a revival and i think it's a very healthy natural cycle and now people are saying they want to know the source of their foods they'd like to have a relationship with the people growing them and and then that that also addresses like this issue of organic because organic certification in the u.s is very costly so if you're a small farmer you might not have all the money and the resources to get that certification. Whereas you might actually be growing your crops more organic than organically certified product from a large company. So going to farmers markets, developing that relationship and, and and developing actually a trust that, you know, this, your farmer is growing this broccoli beyond organic or, you know, adding, um, yeah, biodynamic principles or, using certain minerals and fertilizers that that you can trust and and um being able to source those kinds of foods i think you know is definitely a a growing phenomenon and that's where you know the market will start to shift as more people start to come on board with that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and let's go from here let's talk about immunity because all of all of this ties into wellness and wellness through boosted immunity or Mm -hmm. properly functioning immunity and my own health journey just at a very basic level um, exists of transitioning over to organic foods Mm -hmm. and I, i started this in probably 2009 is really when i started um studying more learning more and uh, making changes to my own lifestyle. But I, uh, in addition to eating organic foods, I elim- it took a while and it's, it, it's not easy to just totally shift your diet and it took place over uh, a, you know, a span of time. But the first thing I cut out was dairy and then eventually gluten and then eventually processed sugar, mm-hmm. which is one that we haven't mentioned yet. But processed sugar is extremely toxic and... Um, it's actually like, isn't it actually a neurotoxin? I think it actually, and it's, I've heard that, um, white sugar is more addictive than cocaine in terms mm-hmm. of like how it affects the brain and, and brain receptors. Uh, don't quote me on that. I need to fact check my own self cause I heard that somewhere, but could be true. And, um, but anyway, just, just in making some of these basic changes and there's a lot of other stuff that I've done, but, um, including 
cutting out alcohol and other just sort of, yeah, like intoxicants and things like that. But I've experienced um, a, a boost in my immunity where I almost never get sick. And I used to get sick every year, just like everyone else. Um, you know, in my late teens, early 20s, I would get sick at least once a year, if not multiple times a year. Flu would come around, everyone would get it, I would get it. But now, even being at an older age, I almost never get sick. Um, I, I get maybe a cold, like a very subtle small cold that my body snaps through really quick, like once every two years. And that's it. I never get the flu. I never get the flu shot because I don't need to. Um, and I'm not saying what other people should or shouldn't do in terms of flu shots or anything else, but I'm just sharing that I've just noticed for my own self that this is the case now where I have this strong immunity. And, and I don't, I also don't worry about being around sick people. Like mm -hmm. if, if someone's like, Oh, you know, I don't know if you should come over. I'm sick. I'm like, no, I'm fine. Like I could even drink from the same, same cup or like, you know, my girlfriend could be sick and mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't worry. I will not get sick because just my, my body internally has the resources or the proper immune function mm -hmm. to just, you know, fight off the normal invaders that we all encounter. But, and that just, that contrast to how I used to be and what I see in so many other people just points to me that so many people have a compromised immune system. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Do, any, any comment or thoughts? Sure. Yeah. I, mean, I, I love learning about ways to boost my immune system, my immunity. And it's so important in this world with, with everything going on. And um, there are so many approaches and ways to to boost your immunity, um, definitely through certain foods, uh, medicines, and um, cutting out certain ones like you, you brought up, processed sugar. Definitely, if anyone is ever starting to feel sick or like something's coming on, there are certain foods you w want to eliminate immediately if you haven't already, you know, in your in your approach. So like... I think one, one way of remembering is it, I think I've heard it called the four white doubles, uh, processed sugar, processed salt, processed flour, white flour, and pasteurized milk. Mm -hmm. Those four and white a, And add alcohol to that too. You add alcohol. Which is yeah, obvious, which is, but not which obvious. Which is a, some sort of type of processed sugar, sugar alcohol. Right, true. true. But yeah, the al yeah, that's um, as well for the most part. Although there are certain medicinal alcohols that, you know, like a honey wine mead with, you know, but that's a very mm -hmm. sp specific type of medicinal alcohol that we can put on the side from vast majority. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, some people I remember there's some sort of like traditional use of, of whiskey mm -hmm. and like lemon juice or something for like a cold. Right. But I think that's, you know, there might be some additional benefits to that. But in general, yeah, you... you, you best to avoid it. Best to avoid general, it. Unless you know and, what you're doing. Yeah, and then add in all these, you know, immune-boosting foods and 
medicines and that's when all these green foods come into play mm-hmm. like algaes like spirulina or other other greens sprouts um and medicinal mushrooms mm. like reishi chaga you know turkey tail these also becoming more more well known as powerful immune modulators and um and so there's also other practices that are a little bit more on the fringe but becoming into our our culture here now like um working with this uh combo frog venom mm-hmm. and that's also a very powerful um immune boosting mm-hmm. uh medicine that yeah and talk a little bit more about what that is i i uh haven't mentioned that on the show yet okay so. yeah i know you've been exploring a lot of different um medicines entheogens and and this is uh this is not considered entheogenic or psychedelic at all this is um basically it's um a frog venom that's derived from these little cute little green frogs that live in the amazon they're actually pretty big are they some yeah. of them get pretty big they're i mean at, like with your f- one with your fingers all stretched out on one hand it's about that big i mean it's a pretty i guess that, that that's quite it can be quite large i yeah. think it's they're called the, the common name is something about green something i don't remember actually the common name or the scientific name but if Some, you look up something bicolor I remember yeah that's if you look up part. combo combo k-a-m-b-o combo, yeah. you can find out all about this this special frog which it basically sits at the top of the food chain in the amazon um because of its deadly venom that it will secrete if a if a predator tries to come eat it so and nothing eats it nothing eats it so or it, sometimes things do eat it but and then they die they, they die and then somehow they yeah they figure they they figure out um to just leave it alone yeah um so it's a very friendly docile frog in, in that sense so easy to to capture it maybe not super easy but because they like you know they like to climb up treetops so there's uh different tribes in in the Amazon, Peru, and Brazil, primarily that work with this frog medicine, venom, um, and it's very much part of their culture and way of life and uh, their immunity, their practices for immunity. And um, the way they harvest, you know, um, this venom is they they learn the the call of the frog and they- Do you know the call? I don't know the call. I have not been down um, to to work with um, them directly, although I have a good friend who is organizing trips down there uh, and um, trainings to become uh, a practitioner to be able to serve this medicine because there's a lot of interest in this because of the um, yeah the immune boosting properties that it, that it has. So so they learn the call. I've, I've yeah. heard. The call done by others. Oh, do you, do yeah. You, do you want to share the call? Do you, well, do you not that I'm a, not that I'm a master of the call, but it goes something like this: wah 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 wah, or like wah wah wah. It's this like deep kind of like guttural. Mm. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I think Thanks. I think you'd be able to to find one to summon a frog. <laughs> yeah, but you yeah you do well. You have to catch it at night because I believe it's a um, 
nocturnal mm. frog and and they go they would go out in the boats onto the amazon and start rowing gently around the trees doing this call and hoping to hear the frog call back mm-hmm. so they can figure out where it is in the dark mm-hmm. exactly so they make the call put the call out they 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 get the response they locate the frog up in that tree the hunter goes up gets the frog alive you want it captures it alive brings it down and if you research this also you'll see these pictures of what they do is they basically like string the frog up um they kind of like tie its arms and legs up kind of well they put they put two sticks Mm -hmm. into the ground vertically and then um they tie they tie a string onto each leg and then they tie it looks it looks bad. It, it looks it, like it's, but a, it's like actually a, not. Yeah, it looks like they could be torturing the frog. I mean, so it's it's, it's hanging. like a quartering. You yeah, know, but there aren't there aren't horses that are pulling. You know, right. that are like pulling yeah. the limbs off of the frog. They're just they're yeah. up there. But but it's hanging, hanging by these strings. Yeah, like you know, uh, so the frog is hanging vertically with its head up, and then it's like two arms out to either side and two legs out to either side. But they actually use a special. Um, I don't know what it is, a plant, or they, they coat the string with something that leaves uh, a white mark on the frog's wrist that lasts about three weeks. And they do that so that if they catch that same frog again, they let it go so that they're not over-harvesting. So they actually do really care. Like they're, they're extracting this venom or medicine uh, from the frog, but they're in it. Yeah. Like I say, it looks bad when you see a picture of it, but they're actually, you know, um, doing as much as possible to avoid hurting the frog or disturbing it. Yeah. I mean, they have a lot of care and respect for this frog and the medicine that it provides and they want to continue, you know, its life and its propagation. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, I think they do, they, they quite a you know humane sustainable practice with um obtaining this this medicine and now as demand increases from the west it's important that there are you know frog sanctuaries and that they continue to be able to to live and and propagate and and uh, be able to yeah provide all the medicine that you know that is required um for people and uh and so once that venom is um, basically secreted and they collect that onto this wooden stick, it's then dried and then it can be used um, and applied on the body. And so the next, so like the next steps after uh, um, harvesting the medicine is to, to use it and to apply it to the human body. And I think that we've both had many experiences um, in working with this medicine mm-hmm. um and uh i could we could share a little bit more about that whole process sure now um if that's of interest let's do um, it okay let me just uh well go ahead and jump into it and just do a little i gotta do a little time check on my next thing sure. but yeah let's let's talk about it so the traditional way of applying this this uh medicine is by making points in the skin um, with a little stick that has been burned. So basically 
burning um, various points in the skin so that... And you just burn, you, you like, that's another thing that kind of people are like, well, you burn yourself but, yeah. or someone burns you. Yeah. But um, you, yeah, you just touch like the, like if you, you know, if you have a stick and then you blow on the end so it turns orange, you just touch it to the person's skin mm -hmm. and it feels like a pinch. It feels like if just somebody pinches your arm. It doesn't really actually hurt any more than that. There's a little bit of a sting sometimes. I mean, it depends. Like some, that's a proper way to do it. Some people, some people press the stick into you. Mm -hmm. I've had people do that that don't actually know. Mm -hmm. It's not necessary to like push the stick in. All you need mm -hmm. to do is just remove the first outer layers of skin to expose the capillaries underneath. Right, exactly. So that then when you apply this uh this medicine which has been rehydrated and then you add that to those points it can go directly into your system and and start to take effect and so the effect of of this um is and oh but i should mention like the there's a bit of a preparation in before you apply the medicine in terms of not you know, have, wanting to have an empty stomach, you want to have like eight hours of no food beforehand. You want to have an empty stomach. You want to be hydrated. And then there's some approaches have you drink sometimes three to four liters of water beforehand. So you have a belly full of water in which to purge because this medicine um, has a purgative effect. Um, highly purgative highly purgative uh, and then recently my friend who has been doing a lot of work with the combo and learning from the Matse's tribe in in northern Peru he 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 learned from them they use this um yucca root cassava um, drink that's sometimes fermented and they drink that right beforehand um, which also like provides this nice coating in the stomach and some like liquid in which to purge although it's um he says they're not drinking three to four liters of water um so there's there's still these practices are are coming out of you know the amazon from these tribes and they're being applied here in the west and so it's really important to you know to be working with a, a trained uh, experienced facilitator mm -hmm. who has this knowledge of of the ways, traditional ways, and also knows how to prep you and apply it in a way where you're gonna have a, you know, receive the benefits mm -hmm. of, of the medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, this is something that is legal within the United States and that, that there are people that are um, trained practitioners mm -hmm. that can offer this legally as opposed to ayahuasca or other traditional ceremonies or plant medicines that are not legal, like peyote is mm -hmm. legal in a very specific context with the Native American church. But um, yeah, anyone, you, I mean, I, I don't recommend this, but you can even just buy your own combo. But it, it is very important to do combo with a trained facilitator because it's, it is, it's poison. First off, yeah. you have to do it properly. And it's, it's also, it's an uncomfortable experience. It's not, yeah. it's not enjoyable whatsoever, but it does have a profound benefit um, when done properly. 
Yeah, and I've actually come to enjoy mm. the process uh, at some level mm-hmm. after having done probably 10 different sessions now mm-hmm. over the last five years, maybe. Um, but the experience is of suddenly this energy and heat starts to rise in your body and you feel the energy. It's kind of like, I, it, it's a very physical sensation, um, but I feel, do feel like there are a lot of spiritual dimensions to this. You could, you know, talk about like a Kundalini awakening where, where energy rises up your spine. Mm-hmm. You really feel that in a very physical level because the blood mm-hmm. starts to rise. The I can heartbeat feel, yeah, I can feel increases. my pulse in my neck. Yeah, so the heartbeat increases and the blood rises and you start to feel kind of the blood and in your ears and this like beating, pumping sensation. So a lot of heat rises and then, and then that feeling of wanting to purge usually arises a few minutes after that. Slowly, but... Slowly but surely. Continually. <laughs> yeah. And then you go through this process of purging and releasing. And um, I, this, this medicine is pulling out a lot of toxins from your body. It ha- Especially your liver. Isn't that your right? liver. Yeah. You, you'll start to see like the, the green orange bile can come I've out. I've actually felt my liver um, like flex mm. or contract like, like a muscle does. And actually like, yeah. Mm-hmm. squeeze mm-hmm. in the midst of puking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's really like wringing you out in a way and and flushing uh, out these toxins. In, um, and it can come out through purging, also through going to the bathroom as well. Um, but usually there's a very strong purge that occurs. Um, and a trained practitioner will know maybe if you need more dots, more medicine, to get to that level or, or less or less sometimes they'll wipe one wipe off. some off yeah for example i just this is up for me also because i just yesterday had my most recent combo experience and so my friend who's a practitioner he put on five dots and i i've have a more uh, maybe a higher uh capacity for it than my friend who was next to me who five dots for him was enough and he was there going through a very deep experience purging but i was sitting there with five kind of not really feeling too much i mean i was feeling it but he knew and i knew that we needed more to get to that place of you know that sweet spot you could say so then he added three more dots so knowing yeah the dose specific application for each person um is and that comes with experience Mm -hmm. and also the potency of the medicine like um how old is it? You know, how is it stored? He also, he shared with me, interestingly, is who collected it. And he said the, the common medicine he had with him had been collected by like the top hunter of mm. the tribe. And so there's also a specific kind of energy that comes through the person collecting and also just, yeah, how it was collected. Was it done in reverence and respect for the frog? Or is it some guy just out there collecting medicine mm. because he knows he can sell on the market. Yeah. And even, you know, thinking about that energetically, mm-hmm. if you want to get into that, there's all these different factors into what kind of experience you're going to have. And also just the intention that you have with it and, um, you know, what you're wanting to clear or purge or mm-hmm. what you're wanting to strengthen in your life. And so it's, it's used also as a hunter medicine 
to to strengthen your body and to like be able to focus in on what it is you're hunting in your life, like your goals, your intentions. This medicine can really help you stay on track or get back on track if you've fallen off track. Mm-hmm. And they say it clears uh, something called panema mm-hmm. in, from your field, which can, can kind of be expressed as like, cloudiness or laziness or distractions or just like density or, or density yeah, yeah heaviness heaviness so just a general kind of heaviness like and, malaise yeah you know and so people who have are experiencing that depression or or just they feel like they've gotten off track this can really help refocus recenter you and so it works on a lot of levels from physically and they've only recently now been doing a lot of um, scientific studies about what's in it and i don't i don't have all those facts memorized but it's really interesting to look into that it has um, a pain reliever in it that's four thousand times more effective than morphine yeah it's a type of peptide yeah that uh yeah there's these very specific types and i don't know the the real deeper facts on this either but there's um these certain kinds of peptides that are very rare in nature i think mm-hmm. there's like 12 of them total and um, Combo has a large number of them, maybe six or seven or so. W- you know, they're they're very rare to be found mm-hmm. in nature, especially in that mm-hmm. kind of concentration in a single animal. Yeah, so there is this um, analgesic effect from those peptides that that I experience after, usually like after that the the purgatory effect, the purging effect. Then then there's like this kind of sense of calm and mm. peace um, and euphoria and euphoria sometimes. and i think that is definitely those peptides will provide that that kind of um it's actually quite nice that a- the, the yeah, after. The after effect and how long in your experience does the process take from the first application of the dots the points mm-hmm. until you're you're kind of done purging mm-hmm. and you're starting to like come down from the main effects i would say anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes is for most people how long it takes so it's a pretty quick process um some people that are have a lot of experience with it like yeah within 10 minutes you can be up and at them ready to go um that's pretty quick that's pretty quick i would say more More 20 minutes 20 minutes is kind of more average 20 to 30 and um it can really rock you for a while um and i think that people that are coming with a lot going on already yeah um they might have a more difficult experience so again it's like knowing the practitioner knowing how many to give you if you have other things going on you might be starting with less um and there's there's more and more reports of how this medicine is helping people with many number of illnesses, diseases. But of course, you know, you need to consult your doctor or, or just know what you're getting into. And, um, you know, there's, there are some contraindications. Um, um, it's a fairly, it's a fairly intense kind of, it's a strong thing to do. It's not just something I mean, you want to make sure yeah. you know what it is and what you're getting into and really study up on it because it's a, 
it's a pretty it's a pretty intense thing to put your body through as well Mm -hmm. i mean to to undergo a deep purge um yeah it's probably not for everyone yeah i wouldn't say it's for everyone um and usually the rest of the day it's nice if you can have the the time to to rest and to rehydrate and just to like and and then i usually find the next morning after a good night of sleep i i'm feeling amazing and i'm feeling recharged and more energized and and i've i've actually i've noticed talking about like panema and using it to clear different energies i've found that um when i've used cannabis more heavily and i and i've sometimes gotten to this like this this habit of using cannabis a lot and sometimes that can often lead to being less motivated or lethargic or getting distracted mm-hmm. um this has really helped me kind of like clear that pandemic or that cloud you could say mm-hmm. that sometimes you experience from more heavy cannabis use and get me more in this like clear space mm-hmm. um and so i imagine for other other types of addictions um whether it's physical or you know even emotional um patterns or programs i feel like this is a great way to help kind of reset and realign yourself along with all these immune boosting properties that it comes with and so the the tribes in in the amazon have used this i think i look i kind of look at it as like um nature's vaccine in a way mm-hmm. and thinking about this frog that is at the top of the food chain that has created this this medicine this venom to you know ward off its predators but there's something that's like some wisdom of the amazon of all the plants and the animals that has been concentrated in this in this particular substance which when used appropriately can offer humans this incredible you know health benefit immune boosting effect and so i I, i've heard that there they they use it for on their children like a child just getting sick boom give them a few dots a few dots yeah yeah and and then they're they're good even like adding some of it to water and giving it to their animals so there's an interesting you know frame of it as like a natural vaccine Mm -hmm. from nature and for me, I think if that's something that, you know, now we can use in our culture, in our, in our um, way of taking preventative measures to boost our immunity, um, I feel like with everything that we're dealing with in, in, the, in the Western world, in this culture, in the society, having access to these, this medicine, I think it's gaining in popularity, not because it's just some like new, you know, new feel-good drug or psychedelic because it's not that it's actually you go through a very challenging you know intense process of purging but when you come out on the other side the benefits are can be very profound yeah there's all the benefits that we mentioned but there there's also i experience like mm, more of like a, a a confidence benefit too or just just uh, the the benefit you might receive from doing anything difficult, you know, mm-hmm. from from sort of from undergoing a challenging experience and finding the strength within to to see it through to the other side. 
Um, and I've talked about this before with other kind of intense ayahuasca experiences that they're actually character building, you know, and, and just the, the challenges of daily, daily life and things like that, um, start to pale in comparison mm. to, you know, like a, an intense combo cleanse or something like that mm-hmm. to where it's like, okay, you've, you start to rack up these series of experiences where you have been challenged to find your inner strength. And then you start to actually know what you're made of and you can bring you, I find, yeah, it's just, I, I bring a uh, more confidence to anything else that I do. Just knowing like, Oh, like I've been through some mm-hmm. shit willingly, but nevertheless, you know, I've been through some challenging experiences and, uh, you know, whatever this life challenges that's presenting itself to me, I know that I can get mm-hmm. through that too. So there is that kind of like mm-hmm. more spiritual benefit. Uh, well, I'm sure we could keep going. Unfortunately, I have to get to another podcast appointment today, also here in Culver City. Um, but before we wrap up, I want to share one more thing about Combo, and that's a legend of how some of the tribes came to be aware of this medicine and how to use it. And this is a legend. It's not, you know, it's not like proven that this is the origin. But the story goes that there was a shaman in a village and um, his whole village was stricken with this disease that he didn't know what it was. And he was having difficult difficulty curing with the tools and knowledge that he had. He was using his knowledge of plants and um, this is was an ayahuasca tribe in this story. <clears throat> and he couldn't figure out how to heal the people of his village. And so he did, so he drank ayahuasca by himself to consult with ayahuasca. What's going, what's going on here and how can I heal my people? And during the, the ceremony, he had a vision and was shown this frog in the jungle and was shown um, how to catch the frog, how to harvest the medicine, how to apply the medicine very specifically. And so then the next day or night, as it were, he went out and and basically followed the instructions and um, this medicine brought healing to the people. Mm-hmm. So that's the legend of how, um, and there's many stories like that in the Amazon, e- even just when people shamanic people have been asked so of all of the thousands of plants in the amazon how did you know to combine the ayahuasca vine with this chacruna leaf or this other plant which we know pharmacologically contains dmt but they didn't have that that kind of knowledge how did you know to combine these two specific plants and what they say is the plants told us Mm -hmm. And we're like, that's nonsense. Well, not you and I, but m- more sort of like Western rational minded people. That's a very dissatisfying, unsatisfactory answer that the plants told us. But they have stories like this, that they they understand how to communicate with the plants and the plants tell them things. So that's that's the legend of Combo is that the, is that the plants told them mm-hmm. what what that was and how to use it. 
I've heard that before about the plants communicating the knowledge or wisdom of, of certain healing applications and and that ayahuasca being seen as the master plant in that way because working with ayahuasca um, the plant spirit can can reveal to to you maybe the benefits of these other plants or herbs in in the region um, that the question of how did those how did they know to combine those two um, to make the ayahuasca, the ayahuasca vine and the chacuna leaf? That is a great question. And uh, the the traditional answer of maybe just trial and error, that doesn't really, doesn't sound like... Well, the chances, even yeah. by trial, that's, that's, that's what's what baffling they, that's what they say. Oh, to they us. just figured it out eventually after... But but that's Trial what's baffling to us yeah. is that on a tr- just the the chances of combining those two the because just pure combination traditionally they they didn't even grow close to each other or something too mm. it wasn't like they were just right there mm-hmm. or growing in different regions mm. but somehow yeah they received um, the insight or knowledge to to do that and to and and then from there and it was long ago up. long enough ago thousands of years ago that you know it's just when we come in there, you know, there's this, their story of how they came across it that, you know, the plants mm-hmm. told them, but in terms of sort of like mm-hmm. written knowledge and discovery, it's, it may as well always have existed from our point of view. It's that far back, that ancient of a practice. Yeah. And I think now in our, in our culture and society, we're starting to reconnect with plants and medicines and herbs and, and develop a, a a deeper connection and relationship and communication mm-hmm. and um, learning from these, these different cultures that have maintained that for thousands of years. Um, I'm really grateful to those cultures and practices and mm. um, yeah, ways of working with plants as medicine. And um, I think a lot of that now is spreading around the world. Um, as these as these plants and medicine spread, and so grateful that we have access to them, and for the people that are continuing to work with them in a good way, and also pre- preserve the um, the continuity of the practices and of the cultivation of them, so that they can continue to be available um, in a sustainable way mm-hmm. for everyone. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Well, we we ended up taking a totally different uh, route in our conversation than we initially thought. Like we yeah. we thought that uh, we might talk about your father's journey with cancer and mm-hmm. healing, and perhaps that we can we'll have another opportunity to tell that story. But um, I think that yeah, we shared a lot of beautiful knowledge here, and I hope it's helpful to people um, just to. Well, yeah, I mean, several layers of depth. There's a lot of beginning, beginner kind of like basic knowledge that we offered, but also much more in depth too. So I think hopefully there's something in there for everyone. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, I want to thank you again for just making yourself available to come on the show. And um, perhaps I will see you in Bali. I know that's a potential destination for you coming up and uh, I'm going to be there in December and January. So if you, if you come, then, uh, let's do another one. 
That'll be great. I do love durian. It's my favorite food in the world. It's exotic, tropical, delicious fruit that grows in that region. So hopefully mm-hmm. I'd like to plan a trip out there when, when they're in season and ripe and um, talk about potent healing medicinal foods. That is one. Well, if you come, let me know, and we will prepare a durian party for durian your feast. arrival, a durian feast. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Cool. Thanks, man. Thank you. I'm glad I was able to leave Los Angeles before the firestorm came and ripped through there. Um, a lot of people know about it, but there's a lot of people that listen from outside of the country as well. But a huge part of L.A., caught on fire and the fire went all the way down to Malibu and destroyed a bunch of homes in a very expensive area and um, glad to be out of there. But it's, but there's a giant fire up in Northern California too. And it's been super smoky and toxic outside for like the last five days. But um, here we are continuing on. So let's see next week. Coming up is Dee Dusso. She's the author of Ganja Yoga, and we talked about cannabis-enhanced yoga and also other psychedelics. Um, this was my third podcast, third episode in L.A., and we've got a fourth one coming, too, the week after, and that is on polyamory. I may, I may do the polyamory may release the polyamory one first. I haven't decided yet. Um, but that's a great topic. I love talking about polyamory, sexuality, open relationships, alternative, everything. Uh, can't get enough of that stuff. I like hearing about people's unusual experiences from just vanilla sexual lifestyle. Nothing wrong with vanilla, but... Yeah, it was cool to talk to a polyamorous couple about their experiences. So that's coming up. I want to let you guys know about some ways you can support the podcast. Please consider becoming a patron by signing up on patreon.com slash chronicles of a psychonaut. That's my Patreon page. You can find the link to that page in the episode description. And that enables you to donate any amount that you want to me per month. And, you know, even a $5 donation per month, the cost of a cup of coffee is actually really helpful to me. So if you enjoy the show, uh, please consider doing that. Also, I'm running a holiday sale on my Etsy store right now. And all jewelry is 15% off. And I just got a huge Moldavite order in yesterday. Uh, with around 150 Moldavite pendants, beautiful ones, gorgeous, uh, mostly silver, some gold-plated, also some Moldavite rings. So all jewelry is 15% off through New Year's Day, and you can access that discount by using the coupon code HOLIDAY on at checkout. And you can find my store by going to etsy.com, E-T-S-Y, etsy.com, slash shop, slash infinity within. That's my crystal store. 
And man, I've been working hard. I only have so much time before I leave for Asia. I'm probably going to leave around mid-December. And I'm just trying to get everything done, keep this podcast going, get as many items up on my store as I can, especially before Black Friday and the holidays. So it's been a grind, but it's been a good grind um, doing my thing and trying to keep this train on the rails. So appreciate your support. Um, yeah, because I'm just... You know, I'm I'm a I'm a lone wolf in a in a way. I like it that way. I prefer that to working for other people, um, but sometimes it's a little hard financially. So, I appreciate those of you who do take the time to support me, and um, you know, even for those people who listen for free. I mean, I love doing this. This is uh, a passion and hobby of mine. So, I don't I don't mind that people listen for free. Um, I'm putting it out there for free, you know? So, but yeah, those people who do donate really help me out a lot. So many thanks. All right, guys. See you next week.